This week on Priority One, we dive into Picard, Premier, Pump, and Circumstance. Star Trek Online's 10th anniversary is now live with missions, new ships, and new ways to spend your money. Of course, in On Screen, we reunite with old friends and talk about Star Trek Picard's premiere episode, Remembrance. And of course, we cannot end the show without sharing your incoming messages. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 446 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly report of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, January 28th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, January 31st at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Anthony. And filling in for Cat this week is another Star Trek online community creator, Zeph Films. Zeph, thank you so very much for joining us this week. We're so delighted to have you. Uh, we've admired your work for so long, and it's about time we collaborate. Yes, about time. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, I'm very happy to be here and filling in for Cat. Hi, Cat. Now, before we move on to the show, I do want to talk a little bit about you. Why don't you Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to potential listeners of the show that may not be familiar with your work? Uh, so yeah, so as Elijah said, I'm Zeph Films uh, or Alan. I live in Canada land, and I primarily do cinematic videos of ships in Star Trek Online. Uh, the purpose of showing off new ships in a way that you might not look at them in game, whether it be you have not so great graphics or you just you don't slow down enough in the fast pace of like the dps race to uh admire your ship so it's really just to showcase the ships and really show the details that the developers put into these ships and kind of just give them like their own little title sequence opening like a tv show and i've been doing that for almost six years now and yeah it's been fun and actually, you you did get to kind of make a, a, a TV show intro recently for someone, didn't you? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so Clear Skies, which is another stream that was uh, that's partnered with Star Trek Online, uh, they tapped me on the shoulder for doing a opening intro for their tabletop thing. So I did that, and yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. One of my one of my better videos, I think. Now, before we move on, one last thing: How can people find your YouTube videos? Uh, so just search Zeph Films uh, with one F and you'll find it on YouTube or go to my Twitter and it is at the underscore Zeph Films and uh, you'll find YouTube videos there. You'll find me. And of course, we will be linking those in our show notes, Captains. Be sure to track him out. Before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on the weekly conversations, whether via social media platforms like facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, 
or by email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, you've heard me say it over the last several weeks that Priority One is, in fact, a community-driven production. None of us on this team make a dime in the creation of this show, not through our patrons, not through our sponsorship. All of that money that comes through our patrons and our sponsorships goes right back into producing this show, upgrading our equipment for when we go on live stream adventures to conventions like Ticonderoga, New York Comic Con, and of course, Star Trek Las Vegas, to upgrading security on our website, of course, hosting the show. All of these things, unfortunately, aren't free. But with your support, we can continue to produce the quality content that you've come to expect each and every week. Just visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one pod and check out how you can become a supporter of this show by offering a financial contribution. But don't worry, we try to incentivize contributions through various tiers on our Patreon page. For instance, we are doing birthday cards. And of course, at $10, we have a completely separate unscripted, unedited show of us talking about the latest Star Trek headlines going deeper into the discussion. So be sure to check that out. Now, if you cannot afford a financial contribution, there is another way that you can support Priority One, and that's by sharing our content. The moment you see us post something on social media like Facebook, Twitter, be sure to hit that share button, not just the like button, but also share it with your friends. Let them know that they can get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here on Priority One. Now let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. Jim, what places? I don't know. Then let's check it out. It's been a little less than two months since the formation of the new Viacom CBS, home to the Star Trek franchise. And now an article from The Hollywood Reporter gives us the rundown on a number of staffing shakeups at the company. So far, one of the biggest impacts was felt in the CBS ad sales teams, which underwent a series of layoffs and promotions earlier this month. Also announced recently was the departure of Amy Doyle, who served as general manager of MTV, VH1, CMT, and Logo. Perhaps the highest profile change will be the arrival of George Cheeks, who leaves behind a co-chairman position at NBC Entertainment. Cheek's move comes as a bit of a surprise to many, given that he was promoted to the co-chair position only three months ago at NBC. It's speculated that Cheeks is arriving to be groomed as a replacement for CBS CEO Joe Ianello. Ianello was an ally of ousted CBS Les Moonves, who fought Sherry Redstone on the Viacom merger. When the merger was achieved, his position was placed beneath the authority of Viacom's CEO Bob Backish. So the expectation is for Ianello to head for the exit doors. Exit stage left. All while Cheeks steps in as head of the CBS house. It's not unusual for corporate merger to kick off a period of restructuring, so the changes aren't really surprising. And while we can't say what the shuffling at CBS Viacom will mean for Star Trek specifically, it certainly seems like the company has been putting its full weight behind the franchise with development and marketing efforts. With many Wall Street investment advisors listing Viacom CBS as a stock to watch for 2020, there's plenty of reason to be optimistic that Trek's future is secure. Yeah, with the amount of marketing that they've been doing for Star Trek Picard, I don't think Star Trek is in any danger of going anywhere. I mean, it is their flagship franchise right now, probably both in television and in movies. And I think that, uh, if anything, they're making sure that there are people in place who are going to support Star Trek. 
Yeah, Paramount's had a pretty rough couple of years in terms of the their cinematic delivery. Um, they've left for want with several of their pictures, especially films that were supposed to be blockbusters, just didn't make it. Hopefully these restructurings will aid the Star Trek universe specifically because now they can live under one roof. Sir Patrick Stewart has teased invitations of a season two guest spot throughout the course of several interviews this past week. But if you're a viewer of ABC TV's The View, you may have seen by far the most touching invitation. Appearing on the show to promote his new series, Sir Patrick briefly took control of the conversation to declare that he had a formal invitation. Stewart addressed host Whoopi Goldberg saying, quote, Alex Kurtzman, who is the senior executive producer of Star Trek Picard, and all of his colleagues, which I am one of, want to invite you into the second season, end quote. The invitation was met with boisterous cheers from the studio audience and a joyful hug from Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg, well known to Trekkies for her role as TNG's Guinan, was moved near to tears by the invitation. She told the studio that Star Trek was, quote, one of the great experiences of my life, end quote. Adding, quote, I had the best time ever, end quote. Yeah, this was a really emotional moment. I was really happy that this happened. And she clearly was not expecting it at all. And you could hear some of the other hosts on The View saying that she talks about TNG as being a special time in her life. So I'm, I'm really Really excited about what this might mean and, and and what's coming in season two of Picard. Yeah, that was definitely it. Actually, it felt so much like a national TV proposal. But then my brain quickly flipped. It's like, how funny is this that a representative of CBS is on ABC offering a job to another TV show on another network? <laughs> I yeah I this is something that I am excited for most certainly I mean to have Guinan back and Whoopi Goldberg return you know we'll get more into this later but yeah I get it they're trying to spin this as a non TNG reunion show but there's no reason why they haven't kept in touch so yeah I'm, this is absolutely exciting and there are other actors from the next generation that I would love to see come back like Tracy Coco Lieutenant J Bring back Lieutenant J. You see, here's the thing about Lieutenant J is that there is so much mystery behind Lieutenant J that they can do virtually anything with that character. I'm all behind bringing back Lieutenant J. I, I just did a rewatch of The Next Generation, all seven seasons, all episodes, and all four movies. And every time Lieutenant J was on screen, I, I screamed and pointed and, and told my family who that was. And she's on screen quite a bit. She's uh, she, yeah. And, yeah. and there's some, like you said, she's sitting next to Picard at one of the concerts. Um, there's some real great moments that she's in, and, and I, I think, yeah, why not? Let's bring her back. Let's do something fun with that. She should definitely be a captain by now, too. Actually, I see that as a comment. She should be a captain by now. Yeah, I agree. Well, captains, that brings us to our first community question this week. What do you think Guinan has been up to since Star Trek Nemesis? Let us know in the comments section for this episode over at PriorityOnePodcast.com or follow us on our social media channels because we'll post this question for you to reply to. If you're a Trekkie in New York or Los Angeles, you had a special chance this weekend to participate in the buzz of the show. A large stage emblazoned with the show's title that a huge Starfleet Delta was set up in each city for fans to get photo ops. In New York, the pop-up appeared in Times Square, and in LA it appeared in The Grove. If you were a lucky fan in LA, you might even have bumped into one of the show's stars, Jonathan Del Arco, who continues his role as Hugh from TNG. The star posted a photo of himself 
himself and his dog at Starfleet Delta, along with the caption of, quote, I'm an actor, but I'm also a fan. Also, Roxy was hoping to meet number one, end quote. There doesn't seem to be a published schedule for the installation, so keep an eye on the at Star Trek CBS Twitter account to catch the Starfleet Delta when it lands somewhere near you. I am so envious that I didn't get the opportunity of heading up to New York City to do this. I'm about an hour's train ride away, and my understanding was that the Delta in New York City on Times Square was only going to be there for the day, on Thursday until like 8 o'clock at night. It, w- it would have been impossible for me to get into the city on time without taking a half day off of work or something. However, I did live vicariously through several of my friends over in the New York City away team and Geek Life Rules. I saw several people posting pictures of themselves in front of the Delta at Times Square. I, that's that's exciting. That's 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 quite a marketing push to to do in the middle of Times Square like that. Yeah, you know, I lived in New York City for several years and Star Trek was not a big thing at that time. And then I leave and now it's a big thing and now there's Star Trek everywhere in New York City. I'm kind of a little upset, but yes, I too saw some of the photos from our friends out in New York City. Very jealous, but very happy that they were able to partake in that. And, um, and how cool. I mean, Times Square is packed full of people every single day. And they all saw, you know, the big Starfleet Delta and, you know, the Times Square billboards and electronic billboards were just plastered with Star Trek Picard. They're pushing this hard. And hopefully that means more people watching it, more fans, more support and longer run of Star Trek in general. Jean-Luc wakes to the sound of songbirds and an enthusiastic greeting from his favorite dog, number one. Crossing the antique wood floors of the chateau, he throws open the heavy curtains and gazes out across acres of wine grapes. The early morning sun sets a golden glow to the mists, clinging to the hills of Southern California's Santa Inez Valley. Yes, captains, that's the truth behind the gorgeous filming of Star Trek Picard's Chateau Picard Winery. In the show, the family's winery nestles in beautiful La Barre, France. In reality, the LA-based film crew looked a little closer to home. So we've learned from a recent article published in Wine Spectator magazine. The magazine spoke to the general manager of the Sunstone Winery, Dave Moser, who said that the production team were looking for a location that resembled a real French chateau. The winery was a great fit, with the property's villa built from architecture and pieces brought to the states from southern France. Naturally, the staff of the winery were bound to silence by non-disclosure agreements until after the show was released. According to Moser, filming was achieved by overhead drones and a few shots of Picard and Data in the vineyard themselves. He described the cast and crew as humble, nice, and very accommodating. On the subject of expected interest from Trekkies, Moser said, quote, We encourage all the Trekkies and Trekkers to come visit us. It should be quite a few interesting weeks, if not months. End quote. All right, captains, who's up for a road trip to the valley? Napa Valley, that is. I mean, if Kat were here, she'd definitely be up for going to a winery. I mean, we know that. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to Trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Star Trek Online's 10th anniversary celebration is here with a brand new two-part episode. Team up with Seven of Nine 12 years after the events of Star Trek Picard and bring Michael Burnham along for a series of trials that will span the game's 10-year history. 
The action mostly takes place on or near the planet Excalbia, seen in the original series episode, The Savage Curtain. But through the Excalbian matter reorganizing abilities, you'll revisit several key moments in both Star Trek Online and Star Trek television history. These episodes are a self-proclaimed love letter to the past and future of Star Trek Online. We're going to take a dive into all of the content released for the 10th anniversary as of Tuesday, January 28th. So if you haven't had the chance to play along, this is your one and only spoiler warning. Hit pause and revisit this episode after you've played some of the 10th anniversary content. All right, so let's jump into one of the biggest tentpoles of this event, which is the two-parter mission. Anthony, go ahead, go first. Obviously, before the mission dropped, there were a couple of websites that kind of spoiled the event and who was coming back. And I'm talking specifically the morning of. So Tuesday, January 28th, the Eagle Moss website and Star Trek Online teased the event, uh, which I thought was kind of cool that some other some other websites were getting in on the celebration for Star Trek Online. And so they teased that... You know, Jerry Ryan was coming back as Seven of Nine, and she's in her Star Trek Picard costume that we've seen her in in the trailers. Uh, Sonequa Martin-Green is playing Michael Burnham, uh, albeit she is a recreation that the uh, Excalbians made, very similar to how they recreated Surak and Abraham Lincoln in the Savage Curtain. We, we get to the planet, and we have to do the thing that, that happens in the Savage Curtain, where we're put on trial good versus evil so that the Excalbians can kind of choose a way of life based on what's going on. And so we go through a series of missions that are literally touchstones to the past of Star Trek Online. Uh, there's one that specifically goes back to a moment from Discovery. And they're all a little bit different. The characters are a little bit different. The conclusions are a little bit different. Um, and in most cases, we have to choose uh, at the end of a trial, we have to choose one way or another what we're going to do in order to inform how we resolve the issue that the Excalbians have put in front of us. Um, I, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. There were several WTF moments for me, which I loved. I loved the kind of switcheroo. And since we're doing spoilers, I'll just mention them. One of them is the moment in which Control recreates Seven of Nine. And then the other one is later on when Seven becomes the Borg Queen and you have to fight her. Some really fun moments uh, and obviously the hero moment when all the ships come in at the end of the day to, to do the big space battle. It was a lot of fun. I loved that it was long. I loved that it was like a big chunk of time you had to spend on doing these two missions and I felt like it was a proper celebration for Star Trek Online. I, I really enjoyed it. I loved every moment of it actually. So in terms of gameplay, there's not really anything new to what you do on these two missions. There's no new game mechanic, no interesting mini game or interact. This is a pretty much a straightforward ground mission experience for the most part until the very end where there's a big space battle at the end of part two, mind you. So captains, if you're getting ready to do this, I played, I've been playing this game for 10 years now, and it's only been recent that I have felt pretty squishy on the ground, like I die a lot and stuff. So if you want to play this mission on normal or hard, what are the three levels? It's easy, normal, and hard. Is that what it is? Yes. 
So if you want to play the submission on normal, I strongly advise that you have all of your ground gear to Mark 15. I did not. I had my armor, my shield, and my weapon to 15, but I could care less about spending upgrade dollars on on my kits, right? Until I played this mission. Because I, boy, boy did I die quite a bit. I wanted to, t I should have taken a screenshot of all my, all my debuffs from dying because it was, it was, it's, it was hilarious. It was really just funny how, how many debuffs I had. Anyway, so be prepared for a ground mission. I'm in the middle one. I'm in the third one. So if you're playing on the third one, if you're playing on advanced, make sure you've got all level 15, mark 15 gear. Okay. That aside, the, the missions themselves, I have not watched that episode of TOS in a long time and even with the spoilers that they had released or the teases they had released I didn't have the opportunity of going back to rewatch that episode of TOS it's a third season episode isn't it it's like I think it's like the second or third one before the last episode yeah so it's so it's like it's literally like uh let's just like throw a bunch of words on a paper and Film an episode. And that it's very rare that I go back to season three of TOS for that reason, you know? It's not great. In fact, the first five minutes of this episode basically sums up everything that happens in the episode, and you don't really need to watch the actual episode. This is way better. So it was nice to to go back and experience some of these missions. There were things that I didn't really remember. It has been ten years. I am not the kind of player that recreates a new character every other week to and goes through all the missions. I usually stick to my one character and play through. Some things were like, oh yeah, I kind of re vaguely remember this. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Of the new environments and the new experiences, the scene where that recreates the capture of the Red Angel from season two of Discovery was spot on, man. That was spot on. The environment was great. Then the cutscene animation of them actually capturing the Red Angel was... Oh my gosh. Killer. I mean, great animation, great environment. I was living that scene. Gosh, I really wish they had the actor who played Control, who played Leland. I really wish they had gotten Leland. That would have been the icing on the cake. Instead, they had to cut corners a little bit. I didn't think it was a, a cutting a corner. I actually, because they established that the Discovery crashed on this planet, so they were there. And yeah, I'm sure they did that for story reasons because they couldn't get Leland or whatever. But I actually thought it was more interesting because when when Lorca and Landry and Stamets and Tilly all came out, I was like, I thought I did not think that they were going to be control. I thought they were coming in to like help or to to, to I, th I thought he was going to talk. I honestly thought Captain Lorca was going to say something and then and then the switch happened and then you had to fight them and I was like <gasps> that was another WTF moment for me. I thought Jerry Ryan's writing and dialogue for this episode was spectacular. I thought that it was a great exploration into her character. Uh, I thought it 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 explored certain aspects of her. I liked her cadence and her voice that represents Seven now, the seven that we will eventually see in Picard, where she's no longer more Borg than human, but instead more human than Borg. So her quips, her witticism, that was that was refreshing. That was refreshing. It, uh, but I will say this, and I know, Anthony, it's going to really piss you off. It reminded me of Commander Grayson in the Orville. And that kind of attitude, that kind of... It just reminded me a little bit of her. No, I, I agree. It was a better version of Commander Grayson from Orville. 
No, no, that's fine. I agree with you. The one critique I have of the mission, in the sense of its writing, is the trope that they have are using somewhat again to bring back a character or bring in a character from Discovery, which is it's not really the character. It's a facsimile of the character in one way, shape or form. We didn't see this with Tilly because it was Mirror Tilly. So it was Captain Killy. But we saw it with Stamets, where it's not really Stamets. It's a mycelial Stamets that gets into the main real 2409 world. And we're seeing that again with Michael Burnham's character, Michael Burnham's story. I don't have a workaround for that. I don't know what else they could have done to have included the voice acting and the voice actors to fit into Star Trek Online. I don't have a suggestion for that. I have a feeling, though, that one of the reasons why we're going back to this planet is because from now on, they can just use this planet to bring in any character. Even Stamets was a different way of bringing him back than than Burnham, than all the other. Like, everybody had their own way. Now they've established a way that they can just bring back any character from any point before 2411. So, which I'm kind of okay with because I want those characters in the game and I don't want them to have to strain themselves on trying to figure out a way to get the characters into the game. I just want them in the game and I'll accept any explanation. And I think this is now an easier way for them to just bring anybody back. The only way I could maybe think of them bringing the real... Michael Burnham. For the record, I have not played this episode whatsoever. I don't care about the spoilers, whatever. Uh, I'm happy just sipping my wine. But she has to do all those jumps in the end of Discovery. And what if on one of those jumps, Species X or whatever, um, manages to trap her? Like you said in that cutscene where they trap her, bring her in. And maybe when they release her, they wipe her memory. And then season three, it's a stretch, but it's also like all the temporal shenanigans is also a stretch too, right? It's Yes, but it's funny you mentioned that because it's not her mom who they capture. (laughs) It ends up being in this in this rendition. It ends up being her from the future. I will say this too, just on a quick aside, the fact that they gave Burnham the uh, same hairstyle that she has in season three of Discovery, I thought was a nice touch. Okay, then disregard everything I said. (laughs) (laughs) Again, overall, I thought it was a nice touchstone mission. Anthony, let me ask you something. When all the hero ships warp in and you start to hear the audio clips, how did that make you feel after playing Stowe for 10 years? So I'll be honest with you. The very first time I played through that mission and that moment came, Uh, my wife walked in and started asking me questions and I had to take my headphones off and start listening to her while my ship was getting pummeled and destroyed while being surrounded by all the various heroes from Star Trek. So that was very frustrating. However, I then restarted that section of the mission and played it again. And when they came in... Because, you know, Archer's the first one that... that, Well, actually, uh, the Enterprise F is the first one that comes in, and Captain Sean says this thing, and he's got friends. Then, you know, the NX-01 flies in, and and Archer says, you know, his thing. Um, And then they all... And clearly, it's audio from the shows, 
but I, I don't care because it reminded me of Battle at the Binary Stars and how they pulled audio from the episode to recreate that moment and how awesome that was. And I actually felt that this moment was even better because this is the moment that this game has been driving towards for 10 years, really. To be able to be a character in the game, in the universe, and all of the the ships and the captains and the characters fly in and say, you know, various famous lines from from their episodes right before a giant battle with the Borg and then six other assimilated villain ships that you faced over the last 10 years. I got chills and it it affected me. If it made me feel like this is it, you know, this is the thing. This is the celebration of this game and and this franchise in a game form. And I don't know, I don't know what else you could have done to make me feel that way. And I, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I it makes me want to go back and play that episode more and more. I just want to say the way you're describing it from the outside here, it almost sounds like a series finale. It, it, I mean. I, I don't disagree. It, it it feels like the culmination of, oh, you get to meet this character and this character and this character and Jordy gives you orders and you go talk to, you know, Tuvok and Seven and then you go, you know, talk to all these other characters in the game and you meet Tilly and Stamets and whatever. And, and then you have this moment where all the Enterprises the defiant, you know, Voyager, they show up and and you get and, and Kirk's Enterprise and the Kelvin Enterprise and uh, the Discovery Enterprise. I mean, it's just like it's it's like a Trekkie's dream. Where was the jellyfish? Uh, that was in the past in the Kelvin universe. I remember in the trailer at STLV, there was a there was a jellyfish that swooped in around the hero ship. I remember that, too. There's the jellyfish. I'm just saying. Well, captains, that brings us to our next community question for this week. Did you enjoy the 10th anniversary episodes? Where do you think the Star Trek Online story is going now? Again, let us know in the comments section for this episode or by replying to our social media posts later on this week. Also launching along with the 10th anniversary celebration was the Borg Lockbox. Inside is a chance to acquire some of the most requested items since the game is launched. The lockbox includes all of the standard R&D packs and boosts, but each box also contains a Borg data core that contains some information about the Borg Collective, along with a non-combat holographic Borg drone to accompany you on your travels. There are new captain's traits for adapting your defenses and offenses in space and on the ground. Liberated Borg duty officers with interesting active duty abilities are also available. Borg technology kit frames and modules can give your captains all those fun Borg abilities we've seen in the TV shows. And you can add to your arsenal with the Assimilated Plasma Weapons Pack. Of course, you'll be able to complete your Borg look by checking out the Lobi store for the Borg exoskeletal frame for a Borg costume and the biological and technological distinctiveness extractor weapon. And of course, the grand prize of the Borg lockbox is none other than the liberated Borg command juggernaut. Similar to the Borg ship seen in the Next Generation episodes Descent Part 1 and 2. This bad boy features a commander tactical slash command station and a lieutenant tactical slash miracle worker station. 
It also comes with the Universal Console Disruptive Topological Matrix, which when activated deals plasma damage to nearby enemies and inflicts viral disruption for a short duration. This console also provides a boost to plasma damage and a hull regeneration. The Starship trait is called Enhanced Nanite Regeneration. If slotted, activating a captain or bridge officer heal ability on yourself will gain a significant boost to your hull regeneration. The boost increases in value the more your hull is missing. The Borg Juggernaut comes with an innate ability, Plasma Disintegrator, which fires a massive plasma bolt at your target which explodes on contact, dealing a devastating amount of plasma damage to everything nearby. Fun fact! Any foe who comes in contact with this bolt or explosion will disintegrate when defeated instead of warp core breaching. For full list on the lockbox items and stats of the Borg ship, check out the show notes. On February 13th, the 10th anniversary legendary Starship bundle will be available to purchase in the C-Store on PC and then on March 3rd for console players. Filled with some of the most sought-after ships, this bundle includes new variations of the Hero ships from Star Trek Online and the Star Trek Universe. As of this recording, only the Galaxy-class Legendary Command Exploration Cruiser and the Defiant-class Legendary Pilot Warship have been revealed. But rest assured that this pack will likely include many of the starships that have starred in our favorite Star Trek movies, TV shows, and all across the multiverses. Both of these ships come with all available visual variants, including the new USS Ross variant for the Galaxy and the Nose Art variant for the Defiant. The nose art version allows you to add preset graphics to the nose of the Defiant, similar to old World War II bombers or the famous Defiant development patch designed by United States Air Force Top Gun artist Johnny Hawk for Doug Drexler's DS9 technical manual. The closer we get to February 13th, the more ships that will be revealed as part of this bundle. Now, you're probably wondering how much it's going to set you back for this bundle. Well, captains, if you're driving, pull over. If you're standing, sit down. If you're operating heavy machinery, stop. You see, the standard bundle, which includes 10 tier 6 ships, over 20 ship costume variants, including a new exclusive variant for each ship, all of the consoles and traits from previous versions of the ship, brand new traits, and 10 ship slots, is priced at 30,000 zen with an introductory price of 19,500 zen, roughly translated to about $195. But get this, there is a premium bundle available, which includes everything we just mentioned, plus 10 master keys, 10 infinity R&D packs, 10 enhanced universal tech upgrades, 10 Phoenix prize packs, 100 low buy, one epic Phoenix prize token, 10,000 dilithium, and the exclusive title, Legend of the Quadrants, all for 45,000 zen, with an introductory price of 29,300 zen, or roughly $300 US. Well, if you're still conscious after that sticker shock, be sure to check out our show notes for more details to see the newly revealed ships. So this is a big deal, right? We're getting all of the big hero ships. Many of these ships, while not the specific 
layouts were previously available in lockboxes. They're getting all new visual variants, brand new traits. That price tag. I remember we talked last week off air about what I thought this was going to be. I guesstimated that this was going to be a $150, you know, pack on sale for $75. And boy, was I wrong. (laughs) I've seen a lot of outrage about the prices, and I'm still trying to figure out the math on this one. Especially, my brain is really broken around the premium bundle. And I'm trying to figure out, my brain is saying no, it's not worth $150, but do the universal tech upgrades, the Phoenix prize packs, 100 low buy, Epic Phoenix token, the Dilithium, and the title, oh my god, the title, does that really equal to that extra $150 if we're just looking at like the normal price? I actually sat down and I went through and I looked at what it would take regular price to get the consoles, the visual variants, the trait package, the the ship slots, all of that stuff. And I added it up. The standard bundle, if you were to buy everything not on sale and roughly roughly a thousand Zen equals ten dollars. Now, I know if you buy more Zen, you get a bonus. So these are these are maximum numbers, right? So so if you were to actually drop cash on this stuff, you would end up paying less. But we're just going to round up here for this for the sake of 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 the discussion. So I, I went through and I added everything together for the standard bundle, the standard bundle itself with the 10 ships costume variants, etc., is valued at around 97,500 zen. And they're selling it for a regular price of 30,000 zen. So $1,000 versus... Versus 300. So that's if you were to buy individually. So the, the hero ships come with the space gear set for that ship. So if you were to buy the tier four ship at 1500 Zen, the tier five ship at 2000 Zen, and the tier six ship at 3000 Zen. That's what I'm figuring. Now, I'm, I'm also including the ship you're actually getting with the trait, with the brand new trait. And I'm saying, okay, instead of getting a, a new console, you're getting all the variants that you that you would also have to pay for if you wanted just the visuals. And we'll call that uh, a 3000 Zen ship. So if you add that together, the 10 ships in the standard bundle would cost you 97,500 Zen. So at, at just 30,000 Zen, you know, when I first saw this, I had the same reaction as a lot of other people, but then I did the math on it, and this is a deal, man. Like 30,000 Zen, a regular price, not even the sale price for all these ships is a deal. It's less than one third what it would actually cost you to go out and get everything. Now that's assuming you don't already have any of this stuff. Now the premium bundle, here's where it gets crazy. Okay, so the premium bundle, not on sale, is 45,000 Zen. I started adding up the numbers, and when I got over 100,000 Zen, I just stopped adding. I stopped trying to figure it out. Because at that point, I mean, you're, you're still getting a deal. While these price tags look, look large, you're actually saving money, assuming you don't have everything. My recommendation for people is to go through and say, okay, how many of these ships do I have? And how much Zen have I spent? And is it worth it for me to then drop the whole amount to get the remainder of this stuff that I don't have? 
I think that's the real question for people who have been playing this game for a long time. But somebody new coming in who's going to spend a lot of time on this, you know, unpopular opinion, but I have to say, this is a great deal, especially with the sale prices. This is another one of those things that I don't think are necessarily aimed at 10-year-old players like us. Anthony, like you just said, this could very well be the the incoming whale, which is a term used to describe a, a person who has the expendable income to spend on a game, comes in to play this game after watching something like Picard and says, oh, I want all the enterprises. Give me all the enter- give me all the hero ships. I'm going to spend the $200. Yeah, there's no doubt that this is definitely a bargain compared to all the individual things combined, for sure. There's a part of me that's like, uh, I, what am I going to get out of this pack, right? I am not, this is definitely for the player that is new and wants to have all the hero ships or the player that wants to have all the things, right? I, the casual player, I, I think I flew the galaxy ship, the galaxy class enterprise once. I don't like the Galaxy Refit with the third nacelle. You know, things like that don't necessarily play well to me. I recognize, though, that this is, in fact, a a pretty decent deal. I think the problem is with marketing. They released the price before telling you what what other ships were going to be part of this bundle. Why would you sticker shock everybody with a massive price like this because the closest thing to the in the game right now that costs that much is a lifetime subscription, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the next closest thing that is a big ticket item. If you think about it, the premium pack is actually more expensive than the lifetime subscription at full price. Right. So why what what was the marketing thought in respect to releasing the price of it? before releasing all of what's in it. Yeah. Unless they're just going for that shock factor of talk. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Because right now, I I mean, yes, it's very easy for you to look up and go on the Reddit and find out what people have dug up from what's on Holodeck and things like that, what's stole leaks, things like all that, sites like that. Yeah, we don't know what it's coming with. Right. We don't necessarily know. We don't know what it's coming with. We don't know how powerful these ships are. We have an idea of what the ships are going to be. Still, to release the price before before telling you what you're going to get, I hate to say it, but guys, you've been doing this for 10 years. Didn't you think by by now, don't you know the community well enough to know that we're all going to freak out over the sticker shock? Yeah, to, to quote uh, Dodgeball, it's a bold move, Cotton. Let's see how it works out for them. And so far, it's not. I completely agree that announcing the prices before announcing everything in the bundle, I think that is just probably the biggest, no, shouldn't have done that whatsoever. I think the biggest question, and I honestly think this, now that they've announced the prices, I think they need to do a little bit of damage control and rip the Band-Aid off and answer the question, well, what if I want to buy the ship separately? Yeah, yeah. Because people are asking that question a lot. It's not being answered. Why not just answer it now? Like, we've already got the shock out of the way. Just tell us if we can get it separately. And I think I think it would be, it would be really bad if they didn't sell the ships separately, to be honest. In my opinion, I think you're going to get... If they don't, there's going to be a lot more upset people, and I honestly wouldn't blame them if they like 
said threw their arms up and said you know what i'm i'm done that's that's bad i hope they don't lock it all behind a bundle because you might as well just put these things in an r&d pack honestly yeah you see all buying this as a bundle doesn't interest me because i don't i'm very particular about the ships that i fly in star trek online yep. i don't have 30 characters i don't have i have one character i have a few you know others that i've played around with and gotten to level 65 or i have one character that's still level 50 for instance this is not for me because i'm not going to use all of those ships I would probably buy a, a, a look. I love the sovereign. I would probably, and I have, I have virtually every sovereign available in the game. But I'm not going to spend three hundred dollars to get it in a bundle. No, especially when the revamp skin just came out today and it's free. So now you have the animated Bazaar collectors on your sovereign. Like it looks phenomenal. The hero ships. So the Galaxy, Galaxy Dreadnought, Intrepid, Defiant, and Sovereign. Uh, they were all reworked by Thomas Moroni and Donnie, uh, so they look more screen accurate. Uh, the Defiant looks bueno, and those reworked skins are available as of right now, so if you have the older ships, you can use those skins. Now, I realize that they're introducing a new ship with new spec, like the Defiant was a 5-3, and it has, it's a pilot ship, which is actually really appeals to the people who like the Defiant, and I think... W that there is like where people will be like, you know what? I just want to buy the Defiant. I don't want to buy the entire bundle. And for me personally, all this extra stuff and the premium stuff, like the 10 master keys, the, the all that other stuff, that doesn't mean anything to me. Like that's not worth spending the extra $150 for in my personal opinion. Uh, it just really not worth it. Like we can get upgrades so easily through phoenix prize packs because there's around they're around all the time uh, what's a hundred low buy gonna get me a boolean cannon i already have that and, and again this is for me and i know this opinion is going to be really subjective to everyone like everything is subjective everyone's going to have a different opinion and that's fine but i all these extra things in the premium is honestly just fluff and not worth 150 dollars for me i do want to point out that while the screen accurate revamp skins are available for free these do come with specific exclusive skins that are only available in the bundle for the defiant you get the nose art right um for the galaxy you get the uss ross variant you know we know from the leaks that there's also other variants that will be coming with the other hero ships i for one just spent a bunch of time like i spent one of my free tier six ship coupons on a tier six uh, Defiant before I knew this bundle was coming out. So I've now, I literally have tried to get the quote unquote hero ships for several of my characters at the tier six level. And then all of a sudden they released this bundle. So for me, it's a little frustrating because I've been spending time grinding the game out to get the tier six versions of the hero ships for several of my characters. So, so I could have one on one character, one on another. And then they just drop a bundle that I could have spent cash on instead of grinding the game. And that's a little frustrating to me as a player because this is certainly the easier way out, you know? And instead of instead of grinding in the game to get those those fleet modules, I could have just grinded to get the dilithium to then buy the Zen to then buy this bundle. It's interesting because the marketing and the Zen store is turning into a, a new player only store. 
and it's it's the the bundles that they're releasing are for new players, people who have not invested a lot of time in the game, and that's getting a little frustrating. Being a, a, a legacy player, being somebody who's played the game for the last ten years, and I wish that there were options similar to what they did with the Discovery Operations Pack, where if you had if you'd already purchased the starter pack, you got a discount on the operations pack. So why can't they do something like that moving forward? I I feel like the marketing and the Zen store, whoever's in charge of the Zen store, really is disconnected from from the player base and from from the community that actually plays this game. Yeah, you know, I, actually, I was just about to say that um, before you started talking, is that, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I have some expendable income to spend. I don't really buy games that often when i do i invest my money in star trek online because you know skiffy for instance wrote in the chat you know i i i like to support the game i i mean i don't have two hundred dollars to support the game also i have to be conscientious about how i spend my money i want to have the if i'm going to spend sixty dollars and up on something in a game i need to feel that i'm getting value in return and although things like phoenix prize packs and low buy and and tokens and dilithium some of those things sure could be good the marketing draw the draw are the ships right so i think i i can't if they don't do these ships individually in some way i think that would be a incredibly missed opportunity because i don't want to fly the galaxy but i want to fly a sovereign or i want to fly an update to the discovery or i want to fly an update to the defiant and i might be willing to buy that ship with uh, in a bundle or by itself well and the thing that i was going to also going to point out is like there's two huge frustrations here one the other factions are left out again so far i hope to god that there is some kdf and some Romulan ships in this, I get the feeling that there isn't. And if there isn't, I feel bad for the KDF and Romulan players. Um, the second thing is, like you were saying, the legacy players, it's hard to see the value in this because we've been around for so long. We have our favorite ships. Like me, I, one of my favorite canon ships is the Sovereign as well. I have them all. But let's be real. I have all the ships. <laughs> And for me to look at these new ships, and if they're only available through the bundle, it's like, why would I pay all that money to get even more consoles that I can't use again? Because you can only use that console once on a build. Like, why would I want duplicates of consoles that I already have? And I don't think there's going to be a discount system built in. Like, that just seems too complicated for the Zen store to figure out, hey, what consoles do you have? Okay, we'll assign the appropriate discount. And I don't know. It's this marketing goes a flop. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to sit down and figure out if it's worth it for me to get this. If I get more value out of it than what I already have. But to be honest with you, if they did break it up on a ship by ship basis, I probably would eventually buy, like, even if they took the 30,000 Zen, right, for the for the standard bundle, yeah. and they yeah. divided that up evenly between the 10 ships, I could almost guarantee you I would probably buy every single one of them, but over the course of a year or two. A year. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what I was going to say. Like, I, I just feel like they're leaving money on the table. I honestly do. I think this is a bad business decision because there are a lot of players out there that have... 30 to, to 80 percent of the stuff that's already in this bundle and yeah they would love the new variant costume or they would love the new trade or they would love the new ship with the new innate ability but they're not going to fork out this much money for it 
But if they broke it down into segments, they would definitely spend money on it. Like, look at look at the mental process that one has to go through for even trying to decide to figure out if they want to buy the lifetime membership for Star Trek Online. Like, I was talking with my friend the other day, and she wanted to buy uh, the lifetime membership that's 50% off. It's, it's still... $150 upfront price and for me up until recently I was I was month to month sub like I paid my $15.44 Canadian each month uh, to have all the perks and I got to a thousand days and I was happy and it's just like is it really worth it for me to get the lifetime sub now like I have everything what else am I gonna get oh I can play a liberated Bork now or I can play a Talaxian fantastic and I think it's that kind of same mentality with these ships it's like do I really want to spend $450 on all the things or I, me personally, I would just, I'd get one ship, play with it. If I got bored of it and I wanted to try another one, then I'd look at the store and be like, okay, hey, I want to try this one now. I think that. So we've been, we've been talking about this quite a bit now. Um, I think that, I think a few things here. One is that this is, this was a poor marketing decision and that's not necessarily cryptic's fault. Uh, it, you know, this could have, these kind of monetary, monetary marketing things could have come from perfect world entertainment, this kind of backwards marketing ploy of let's tell the price first before we tell them everything that they're going to get. Again, my question is, have you not been on the forums in the last 10 years? Have you not been on the Star Trek Online subreddit over the last 10 years to, to make that kind of error? I guarantee you the people making the decisions have not. <laughs> and to all of our points, this is definitely not for us, or at least not yet, right, from what we've seen. However, if they were to release these bundles in different variations and in, in, in things that we may not have, a sovereign bundle, a discovery bundle, or something, then you might see the 10-year-old players open up their wallets again. So let's just go around the table. Anthony, are you would, at this at this point right now? Would you spend one hundred and ninety five to three hundred dollars on this? Yes or no? Without sitting down and using a calculator, no, I wouldn't do it. I'd rather spend my money on keys and open Borg lock boxes. Zeph, how about you? Uh, no, because at the four fifty, that equals almost six hundred dollars Canadian for me. So no, no. Yeah, and and I'm at a no too. I'm at a no too. But I think we're all in agreement that if they started to, if they were to release these things separately at you know 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks a pop in some variation or so, then we probably would end up forking up the money. Yeah, I hope they don't forget about the legacy players, the ten-year-old players, you know, and making sure that they want to keep us happy to continue to give money. What about you, Captains? We've asked this question already on our social media platforms, and we'll ask it again now. So let us know if you think this is a handsome bundle for you, and then you might be interested in purchasing it. Let us know in the comments section of this episode or by replying to our social media posts about it. Moving on to lighter things and free things. If you haven't already, be sure to claim your free $23.99 Starfleet uniform in-game. The uniform, as seen in Star Trek Picard, is the latest on-screen version of the iconic costume. Complete with matching com badge, this uniform will only be free for a limited time. So be sure to get yours from the promotion tab in the C-Store. That's it for this week in gaming news. Now let's look on screen for the premiere episode of Star Trek Picard, titled Remembrance. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Picard episode one, Remembrance, on screen. Star Trek Picard opens elegantly with Bing Crosby's rendition of Blue Skies. We see a beautiful, albeit dark shot of the Galaxy-class Enterprise. As we zoom in to 10 forward, 
we find Picard and Data playing poker. Before long, we learn it's just a dream sequence, and Picard is woken up in his bed on his vineyard by his number one, a pit bull. The story continues with introductions to characters like Zaban and Laris, Romulan refugees that are now friends and caregivers living on Chateau Picard in France. Soon, we meet Dodge, a young woman with a promising future at the Daystrom Institute in Okinawa, Japan. That future is cut short when action ensues. Dodge is attacked, her boyfriend murdered, but her evasion and escape only establish that there is more than meets the eye with this young woman. She finds Picard, and although he is unable to exactly identify her, Picard senses a unique connection with her, because she is, in fact, an android modeled after Commander Data. She is, in fact, Data's daughter. But she's not the only one. In fact, there's an identical twin on board a Romulan reclamation site, also identified as a Borg cube. Now, Captains, before we continue on with our reviews, let's talk about some of the touchstoning that was all over the place on this episode. Yeah, there's a lot of touchstones in this episode, so I just want to focus on two specific scenes. One of them is the Boston cityscape right before we meet Dodge for the first time. And if you look closely, you'll see that there's a big Ferengi Commerce logo on one of the buildings. Um, maybe that's the Boston headquarters for the Ferengi uh, you know, Commerce Authority. Also, there was a Cassidy Yates advertisement probably for her transportation company and also in the very bottom right there were there was the London Kings logo which uh, if you remember from Deep Space Nine uh, Buck Bokai which is Cisco's favorite baseball player he played for the London Kings uh, when he broke uh, I believe the home run record I don't know I don't want to watch chicken ball sports now I want to take it back a moment before you continue on because just the opening scene with blue skies is a clear touchstone to Star Trek Nemesis. Data sings this song as a wedding gift to Riker and Troy on their wedding day. So this this song has an emotional connection and that style of panning into the ship through the window, I think is an intentional callback to TOS, that very first episode, when the camera comes through the top of the bridge and into the bridge, that pan. This was again echoed and, and done again in Discovery a few years ago, and now we see it here as well. So these are iconic Star Trek cinematic motifs that we are seeing again. And I loved it. It was great. Yeah. You know, the playing the poker. Data's in his uh, nemesis costume, too, which is a little weird. That whole first scene is a little weird for a couple of reasons, but um, but we'll get into that a little bit more later. Dodge's boyfriend was Zahian, and uh, that is the same race as Poe from the short trek where uh, Queen Poe meets Tilly. Um, and then the, the other scene I want to talk about is when Picard goes to the archive, that room is just filled with with Easter eggs from TNG, including a model of the USS Stargazer, his first command, a Klingon Batleth and Datag knife, 
uh, presumably from his time as uh, Worf's Chadish. The, uh, there's a model of the Enterprise E. There's the Captain Picard Day banner. There's another model of the Captain's yacht from Insurrection. Uh, there's also his Curlin Nuscus that um, Professor Galen gave him in the episode The Chase. There's the Enterprise D hanging on the wall uh, behind everything. And there's also the big book of uh, the complete works of William Shakespeare from his Ready Room. Uh, and I'm sure that there's m- there's others that are in there too that, that we haven't even talked about. But those were the ones that really stood out to me uh, when, when he walked into that room. Did you notice any, Alan? Nailed them all, really. Just touching back on like the opening shot, I think there was also, um, because I just started rewatching TNG, and I'm kind of, I hate to say it, suffering through season one, but um, TNG opens up with that same shot where it starts off in the distance, and then it moves into Picard. I believe he's standing in his ready room or something like that. So I think they, if I remember correctly, they had the same kind of opening shot there too. The opening shot between him and Data, if they had put Data for that shot in the TNG uniform, it would have felt kind of like um, they're finishing off the uh, the poker game from the last episode of TNG. So it's like the, it, there was all of them, Picard included, and it's like it, it could have been like the last two of, like they're the last two at the table playing poker. And I thought that would have been cool. And that's the vibe I got. Um, and I just want to say like Brent Spider, it didn't even feel like he hasn't played data in like 18 years his his speech his mannerism everything was just it doesn't feel like he stopped doing data it was it was awesome all right let's just let's just dive in and talk a little bit about our review of of the episode anthony why don't why don't you go first when they bring a character back like this, um, you know, they did something similar a couple of years ago when they brought Luke Skywalker back for The Last Jedi. There's always this this worry, you know, are they going to get it right? Is it going to be the same? And, you know, we all have, every single one of us has a different idea of, of how it should be or what we want. And, you know, I myself included, when I, when I watched this, I before watching it, I was worried. I was concerned. Um, I didn't think any of the trailers looked particularly great. Um, but I didn't think any of the Discovery trailers looked particularly good either. I, I didn't think it was going to be that good of a show, but I love Discovery. Um, and the same thing happened here. The, the trailers to me didn't look great. The episode I thought was fantastic. I love how they're easing us into this story. Um, I love how Picard feels like Picard, but an aged Picard. And, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay that this is a new chapter in his story and it's not a TNG sequel. There's a little bit of like some sort of rehashes of sci-fi plots in general, but I feel like they're not focusing on that stuff. They're really focusing on Picard as the character, his relationship with Starfleet, and this new mission that he needs to go on. And so they're setting this up slowly and I'm okay with that. I loved it. I loved it everything about it. I've watched it about four times and I I don't think it could have been any better for me. So, I... <sighs> this happens every time. I love something and then you talk. Well, so here's the thing. I absolutely loved it! Ah! <laughs> so, here's what it boils down to. I mean, this was a unbelievably strong pilot episode, first episode for a serialized season of Star Trek. For starters, I thought the pacing was on point, maybe even a little too fast, but I'm okay with that versus the opposite, which is dragging along a a plot point. Like I, maybe I could have spent a little more time with Dodge and Picard. 
right? For to, to feel a little more when she goes bye-bye, right? But still, I may not have liked that if they did spend any more than the time that they had allotted to get to know Dodge. So the pacing was spot on. And with that pacing came some phenomenal underscoring by Jeff Russo that kept the story and plot engaging. The, the music was almost its own character. And it's funny because after watching this episode, you want to go back and you want to watch a bunch of other TNG episodes to refresh your mind in in certain theories and plot points and things like that. And one of the episodes I rewatched were uh, Best of Both Worlds. And if you listen to the music for Best of Both Worlds, their moments of suspense are underscored by a xylophone, which is hilarious. And then you listen to the underscoring for Picard and it is moving. It it, it, it acts as its own character in the plot. So I encourage you to do a rewatch of Picard with your eyes closed. Just listen to the episode because I think you're going to get a better appreciation for not only the music, but even the, the writing and the pacing. Aesthetically, also very different from, from anything we've seen before. If you watch the interview with Hanalee Culpepper on the first episode of The Ready Room, she talks about that. She talks about using warmer colors, more yellows, more oranges, more browns in this, which is a welcome departure from what we're used to in all previous Trek, including Discovery. Discovery was still on a ship with blue tint, you know, it was a, it was a starship. Think back on TNG. Remember in Generations when they're sitting in 10, was it Generations? I think it was Generations. They're sitting in 10 forward and you see the starlight coming, shining through 10 forward. The same set that we had been watching for over seven years had looked completely different just because of lighting. And again, I thought it was just beautifully put together for this for this episode. I want to say this. I What I felt ab about watching this episode was like I was revisiting old friends. You know, you have that one friend that, you know, you can go months, maybe years without talking, but the moment you get together again, it's like no time has passed at all. That's what I felt like with this episode. No time had passed at all. And I was back in this universe with Captain Admiral Jean-Luc Picard and Starfleet. And, and it was just, I've watched it over and over again, several times now since it's premiere on Thursday. And I keep finding something new. I keep appreciating it a little differently. And mind you, I'm doing it, of course, because we have to offer some criticism or some opinions of it on the show. But this, even though I love it, is still a criticism. This is still me critiquing the show. I encourage you to watch these episodes. If you want to be a vocal critic of Star Trek, watch these episodes several times. Watch them in different ways. Don't call people haters who may have a difference of opinion from your passion for Trek. I'm still a Trekkie. I don't like Discovery. I loved Picard. That still makes me a Trekkie. I'm not a hater. I'm still the Trekkie. Let's let's try to to control the rhetoric and control the, the conversations that we have online about Star Trek. Because Picard is like coming back home to family. And I think a lot of us feel that way. And we should still maintain that no matter who we are in this Star Trek Trekkie community. Zeph, Alan, what, what did you think of the episode? Uh, it was uh, fantastically done. Um, definitely, like, the one thing I noticed like right off the bat and just from like what I do kind of day to day is like the music 
um the music was just so like beautifully scored it was just i couldn't find anything i hated about it uh whereas the discovery uh intro i just i was kind of eh, okay but with this it was just really really well done and uh to add to your thing about the lighting yeah definitely a different tone was set you look at generations with the shot into 10 forward it was a lot warmer they used a lot more it was also based on where they were but discovery does have that blue tint to give you that real feeling that you're in space and that and i try and emulate that with my ship videos this one felt there was not so much of that cold feeling it felt warm like all the way through except for maybe the end there at the board ship and obviously like that's the that's the tone that you want to set in that board cube so there was different moods that was uh given through coloring throughout the episode whereas discovery was kind of just always one with that blue tint the pacing i thought the pacing was really good I did get a little bit of whiplash there where the Romulans came in after Zaj the second time. It was just like things were going so good. It was just like there was just actually like an amazing moment there where Dodge says that she was accepted into Daystrom Institute and Picard, like Patrick Stewart's, his acting when he when he had that, oh wow, like I felt that. Like I had that over Christmas break when I was telling my parents about something and they're just like, there was, I felt that genuinely, or that genuine feeling of being proud of her through the TV and I'm just like, holy crap. And then all of a sudden it's like pew 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 and I'm just like, hold on, what the hell's going on? I also had a very weird moment where he was having the revelation about the paintings and I'm like, is this supposed to be lol? Like, what's going on here? And then we find out, okay, maybe not so much lol. But um, yeah, I also had a theory about Maddox being involved and then they mentioned Maddox in the show. So it's like, okay, yeah. So I, I, I love the show. I can't wait for the uh, second episode. I'm hoping that this tone that they've set in episode one continues and definitely probably one of the strongest starting pilots for a season for sure um me personally i actually really love discovery and i thought discovery seasons one pilot was actually really got to me but look at the type of videos that i do and look at what cinematography is in there right like it that hit home for me i'm like oh my god i'm in heaven i hope that the pacing continues i know that we're gonna have to slow down a little bit i i I, I recognize that, but I hope that these next two episodes don't come to a crawl, which in serialized television today can happen sometimes. You got you have a you know they come out of the gate strong, and then there's it, it there's, there becomes a slow burn over the course of several episodes before anything of substance happens again. And I hope that Picard, Star Trek Picard, doesn't fall into that trap. I think they'll be able to avoid that because I noticed with season two of Discovery. I didn't feel much of a slowdown. There was maybe a little bit there um, with the Saru part when he was going through like his, um, he was losing his ganglia or whatever. Um, but every episode there was always something going on. And I think they're achieving that by not doing 26 episodes in a season. They're shortening it down to like 10 to 13. So you don't really have that time to go really slow like they have in uh, Deep Space Nine, for example. There's times where it's just like, oh my God, like, can we, can we punch this thing to warp nine, please? So I don't think we'll have that feeling, but yeah, I, I, I need to see more ships in this show too. Sorry. 
Uh, I will say this because there's a good possibility I'll never say it again. Um, Elijah, I agreed with everything you said. <laughs> the pacing for me was fine. I, I think that the next two episodes will definitely solidify the tone and the pacing. And I think that um, I think it's going to be OK. I, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed how they set stuff up. They, they informed us of the thing that launches us with Picard on this adventure, and I'm uh, I'm really excited to see how this plays out, and I'm along for the ride. Well, Captains, we're going to dive much deeper into Star Trek Picard Episode 1 Remembrance in our Patreon-exclusive show titled After Hours. If you're interested in our opinions and want us to dive deeper into these discussions, then maybe consider becoming a patron and supporting us over on patreon.com forward slash priority one pod. At the $10 level, you'll get this and additional goodies. That wraps up this week's on screen for Star Trek Picard. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Let me just start this week by saying one thing. Whoa, we got a lot of feedback from our community questions, and of course, other posts that we shared throughout the week asking for your opinions on certain things. We are so very grateful, Captains. There's nothing more exciting for us than to see our social media blow up with conversations and discussions about topics that are important to you. So thank you so very much. And although we wish we can get through all of them, we're going to have to just pick up on a few. Don't be discouraged, though, because we want to keep hearing from you from week to week. Our first community question for the week was, would you rather see Discovery Season 3 released first or Lower Decks? From Twitter, Gabe Weisdorfer says... I would rather see Disco Season 3 first. Such sweet sorrow, and the trailers left me on edge about what will happen in this season. On Facebook, Mark Jenkins writes in, Yeah, Disco Season 3 is more exciting for me at the moment. I'm very interested to see the future further than we've been before. Hopefully it's still the utopia that Gene Roddenberry envisioned. The world needs hope these days. From Twitter, Panagiotis says, Lower Decks. Discovery isn't bad, but it's not among the best Star Trek shows I've seen, so it needs more time to improve it. From Instagram, Blake J.K. Young writes, Lower Decks! I love disco, but it's heavy. Some light relief would be welcome right now. What, do you, what are you looking forward to most coming up on CBS All Access, Zeph? Um, Well, I don't have it, unfortunately, because Canada, Star Trek looking at you so we get it all on space channel on our regular basic cable um i personally would like to see lower decks first uh i wouldn't mind a little change up i'd like to see something animated something new so uh yeah that, that lower decks well our second community question this week was what are you most looking forward to in Star Trek Online's 10th anniversary. From Facebook, David Collins says, the Borg Juggernaut looks very interesting right now. I'll be using a few keys or buying it on the exchange just to try it out. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell writes, no one thing in particular really, though the whole thing together sounds neat. New story missions, hero ship variants, space fighting Alachi walkers on a moon, and apparently some guy in a stovepipe hat is going to show up. That last one is a bit weird, but whatever. Here's to 10 more years of fun Star Trek gaming. On Twitter, Drogan writes in, looking forward to the episodes and what new story Stowe has for us. 
We also asked you this week for your thoughts on Stowe's newly announced Legendary Ship Bundles. Once again, you did not disappoint with your answers. From Twitter, Duncan Idaho says, I think it's a deal if you consider it's 10 ships, standard 30,000 zen, plus all the consoles, traits, and costumes of the lineage. The more useful thing to come out of this will be the individual ships. It's a great excuse to introduce new layouts and customization options. On Facebook, Bud Mulder writes in, Not unless someone rich decides to gift it to me. Way too rich for my blood. From Twitter, Andrew Tweeterman writes, My thought is, I want it, and my wallet is about to commit a murder. Me. It's going to murder me after I buy this. Well, that wraps up episode 446 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them and share them with your friends. And of course, if you are looking for some phenomenal cinematic images and videos of recently released Star Trek Online ships, Zeph, why don't you tell them where to go? So you can find me, actually, you can go zephfilms1f.ca, which will take you directly to my YouTube page. Or you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore zephfilms. And as always, we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David K. Rutley, Joshua Selig, and Peter Archibald. All right, it's time to remind you what this week's community questions are. What do you think Guinan has been up to since Star Trek Nemesis? Also, did you enjoy the 10th anniversary episodes? Where do you think the Star Trek Online story is going now? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast or find us on twitter and instagram at priority one pod captains don't miss a thing from the star trek multiverse catch our episodes every friday just open your favorite podcast app and do a search for roddenberry there you'll find us and our friends on the roddenberry podcast network and if you are like folks in our chat tonight ragnats for instance who have been interested in seeing how the sausage is made, then be sure to catch us live on Tuesday nights at around 8 p.m. Eastern. We go live on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Twitter. All you have to do is keep an eye on our social media channels for those details. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Cat, and the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of its amazing members. With regular giveaways, there is something for all Stowe players, whether you are new or a veteran. Follow us on our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our community patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Captains, uh, of course, if you cannot make a financial contributions, we understand, but there are other ways that you can support the show. Share it with your friends, for instance. When you see us post an episode, don't just like it, click it, share, and make sure you tell your friends to get their weekly roundup of Star Trek news right here. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. 
Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a... Wyvern? Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to our guest host this episode, Zeph Films. Alan, thank you so very much for joining us on this episode. It was a pleasure having you. Again, remind everybody where they can get you. ZephFilms.ca, 1F. Uh, that'll take you right to the YouTube page or Twitter at the underscore Zeph Films. Awesome. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, William, Brandon, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the weekly production of this podcast and our captain's vlogs. To associate producer Shane Hoover for helping us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Engage. Again, this ship comes with... Oh, I lost my place. Again, this ship... I can't even. <laughs> it's just a wall of text. <laughs> 10 Infinity R&D packs, 10 Enhanced Universal Tech Upgrades, 10 Phoenix Prize Packs, 100 low buy, 1 Epic Phoenix Prize Token, 10,000 Dilithium, and the exclusive title, Legend of the Quadrants. I feel like Stewie. Friends become enemies, enemies become friends. <laughs> All right, let me try that again. Discovery isn't bad, but it's not amongst... Discovery isn't bad, but it... it... What the... Pardon my French. I caught it. I caught it. I caught it. I didn't even... I, didn't even, yeah, I, didn't I don't think you're going to be invited back next week. Okay. I'm busy next week. Plus, you have, you have somebody else anyway. Uh, well, that wraps up episode 445. 46. I don't even work here, and I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I tell you when I was reviewing these sheets, hey, your closing says yes, 45. You yes, you did. Hey, <laughs> I'm sorry. as Elijah likes to say, preparation is the cornerstone of our organization. Of all, <laughs> yep. All right. Here we go. <laughs> That's a good blooper right there. <laughs> Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.